Hello, everyone. Welcome to the whole cast from 7500 to Holt, the SB Nation blog of Aston Villa, the FA Cup finalists. Hey, Robert, how's it going? <laughs> it's going wonderfully. I feel like we're practically going to be in that dressing room at Wembley. Yeah, almost. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much like we're going to be there now that Aston Villa have made it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel the just the same way about it. Just thrilled to be there. I mean, and that was it was really the best performance we've seen all season, which is great. It was oh, yeah. Deserved. Yeah, absolutely. They looked incredible, and they, they, they played the pants off of Liverpool. It was fantastic. Yeah, and even at the end when Liverpool really, really cranked it up, they had just been missing so much all day that kind of when Lovren ran up and tried to smash that ball that was rolling just went, just went over and kind of summed up Liverpool's day, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Villa played some really nice defense. Uh, their midfield was absolutely smothering, and the attack actually did what it was supposed to. And and there's no way you can say that was a lucky win. Villa deserved every single bit of that win. No, and uh, I was watching uh, Fox had a replay of it on a couple of days ago. Yeah, Tuesday, I guess. And so I watched that, and what it. Martin Tyler was like, Aston Villa was the better team for 75 minutes, and I think that was 100% true, and at least. And really, though, in the attack, Benteke, Grealish, and Delph, kind of that whole left side was combining so well, and obviously for the, the second goal. Yeah, play like that, um, and, this, and this is the team that qualifies for the Europa League without the FA Cup next year. Because um, that was legitimately some of the best play we've seen all season and that's exactly how this team should be playing. Yeah, and I think I think one of the my favorite parts of it was that Gerard started for Liverpool, which I fully expected and he was completely useless, which is great. And in yeah. Alex's preview, it said this will be Gerard's last game at Wembley. Yeah, it's Alex so was uh, was pretty confident about that and he was absolutely right. Um the when he started, I was a little bit worried about narrative Gerard coming in. Uh, the thing that made me comfortable is when he came out in the second half in that holding midfield role, because he's terrible there. Um, and when he came out, I actually felt confident in that second half. Yeah, I don't know he how he ever got into that position, because he's never been a holding mid. He's a great center mid and a really good attacking mid, but I don't know, holding mid, whatever. But I was kind of scared at the end when they, they had that free kick chance, but... Went off Lars' head straight to Given, and Given really didn't have a lot to do. No, he didn't. Um, he and what he did, he did well. He collected corners nicely. Um, I'd like to say he stopped those free kicks nicely, but those free kicks were essentially passes to him every well, time. I guess one thing he did well was distribution, which is always going to be better than Guzen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he he was able to kickstart attacks with his nice distribution. Um, it's hard for me to be too over the top about Given, though, because you really didn't get a chance to see much. He he did exactly what you would expect him to do. Yeah, on who scored, his match rating was a 6.2, which, I mean, he didn't do a lot. It was hard to fault him for the Coutinho goal because it took a bad bounce off of Correa, but... <laughs> and because his defenders were idiots before that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe he just needs to be a little more vocal and tell them just clear it, don't play it out from the back. I mean, it's it's hard, though, when you're playing possession games so well not to try to play out from the back. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and you know, Akora has come on minutes before and was getting settled into the match. Um, yeah, that, oh, yeah, goal yeah. Was, that, that goal was terrible, though. Um, it was 
they pointed out, I was listening to Aston Villa review this week, and uh, Steve and Chris pointed out that it was a goal that Aston Villa could have easily prevented, which seems to be the only kind of goal they're giving up anymore. Yeah, it was like a goal they gave up against QPR almost. Yeah, absolutely. It's when it was, I was yelling at the screen, you know, from the moment it got in there, clear it, clear it, clear it. And the fact that they didn't, it's like you saw it coming a mile away. Yeah. That, that you know, it was going to be a goal. And there was the worry that that would turn the match on its head. Uh, Under Paul, Paul Lambert, it would have. Exactly. Paul Lambert's villa would have crumbled. Uh, you know, they had dominated up until that goal. They had done really well. And, you know, one goal would have been enough to wipe out all that good work. But under Tim Sherwood's Villa, good heavens, they didn't give up. Yeah, and it st stormed back early, got that goal to get it level at the break, which I think was really important because what what do you say in the team talk? All right, well, we, we're destroying them out there, but we're still losing. You know, that's really tough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and having it level at the break with all the momentum going exactly. Villa's way. yeah. Um, it wasn't like the atmosphere in those two locker rooms had to have been entirely different because both teams were level. And Liverpool, you know, Brendan Rodgers had to go in and say, you're playing like shit, and yet you somehow you're level. Whereas Tim Sherwood could go in and say, you're level, but you should probably be ahead. Yeah, but you're playing horribly, you're level, against a team that you should be beating, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Liverpool have the talent to beat Villa. Um, they haven't looked like it lately, but they're a team who should beat Villa most of the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Probably probably five times out of ten you'd think they'd win in in 90 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, maybe Villa win, win two or three and then two draws. Some, I don't know, something like that. But yeah, I don't know. Going, was... going forward, maybe not. Maybe Villa should be expecting to win against teams like Liverpool after beating Spurs. Yeah, exactly. This is two huge wins against teams we weren't expected to beat in London in two weeks. Um, you know, this the way this club is playing is getting to the point where I'm, I feel safe in calling it that's how this club will play. It's yeah, not it's a starting, starting to look a lot more like that, a better style to watch even, and obviously better results. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a fluke at all. Um, and and I think two consecutive wins over Spurs and Liverpool might be a fluke. I'm not sure if we should be winning two matches like that. But I think this is a team that, you know, shouldn't have any danger with relegation. They should be able to get one more win, and that's all it's going to take. Yeah, I think so, especially, I mean, we were looking at the table just before, and Newcastle just a couple points above us, really. They could be dragged back into it. And I don't know, the relegation picture is really, I mean, a little more starting to clear up a little more, but still pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it stinks that, well, we had the weekend off, the gap closed from six points to four points between us and the drop. Um, but there's still enough teams between us and the drop that it's not quite as worrisome as it was. No, definitely not. And we'll get to that in a little bit. I mean... Saturday, we saw that Reading took Arsenal to extra time, and that would have just been amazing if somehow we got to play Reading in the cup final. But it wasn't I, meant to I be. I was cheering so hard for Reading, yeah. Uh, but I think Arsenal looked like a team that at least in the cup could be beatable. My worry is right now they're sort of saving it up for that run at the league. By the time they hit the cup final, there's nothing to save for. They can put out the team that has been 
cruising through the league right now. Yeah, that's that's a good point. But I don't know. We saw in the final last year, Hull struck with two early goals, and they just couldn't hold on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Villa could do this. This is Arsenal are probably even since the fifth round or so. Arsenal have looked like the hardest team to beat in this competition. They look like the the odds-on favorites to win it. So the fact that Aston Villa have to play them sort of stinks. But you're always going to have to win a few tough matches to get the cup. Yeah, and if you don't, you don't deserve the cup. Yeah, it's true. Um, it Unfortunately, simply making it here does not qualify us for the Europa League, thanks to changes. Um, if this had been last year, we would now be qualified for the Europa League. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, they just changed the rule this year, but... I don't know. I don't really think you deserve to go to the Europa League if you just get to the final. No, I agree 100%. I think the changes make sense. It just sort of sucks that, you know, it came the year that we make the final. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And the year that what, what, it looks like we could actually have a decent team next year and maybe actually, I don't know, make it out of the group stage of Europa League. <laughs> nope, sorry. We're going to play Rapid Vienna. <laughs> Feynman's going to get spit, on, spit at by fans of his former team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going to be terrible. Um, but it. what was your highlight from Saturday? Or, excuse me, from Sunday? Uh, I, I think it's got to be the second goal. It was just the back heel from Benteke to Delph, who, or to Grealish, who passed it perfectly to Delph, who just cut around Skirtle and slotted it home. Yeah. Just, the fact that... The fact that Liverpool gave Grealish that much space, I can't tell if that's bad or not. Because how are you supposed to expect that Benteke is going to take an eight-yard back heel to a guy sprinting up behind him? I mean, it seems like you should safely be able to give Grealish that space that he had in front of him. And Benteke made them pay for that. And really both goals started because of Benteke going going wide and creating that space out there and pulling, pulling defenders out of place. And... But Benteke's first goal, that was a great strike, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just and so calmly taken. Um, you he know, almost had another just like that, too, later on. Yeah, it's this, you know, this volley that that isn't, you know, that typical sort of wildly impressive volley. It was a perfectly taken right-footed shot that went exactly where it needed to. And there wasn't a huge window of space for him to shoot that in, either. No, and it wasn't like what Cleverly tried to do late on. Yeah. Um, Which, but, I mean, I was just I was disappointed that he lashed out at that, not trying to just keep possession, keep the ball. But really, I don't know. If he's going to take that once in a while, okay. I was more more annoyed when Richardson had a chance to make it 3-1. Yeah. Yeah, skied it. Um, Husky would have been embarrassed by that. Yeah, no kidding. It was it was terrible. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the Benteke backheel to Grealish was actually my highlight. Not even the goal that came from it. Just the perfect awareness that Benteke had. And and you see Grealish was sort of yelling for it and whatnot. But the fact that Benteke knew he could essentially just put his foot on the ball and stop it. I mean, because it didn't roll that far after he backheeled. No. And just so essentially stop the ball's momentum and keep sprinting and drag the defender with him and Grealish would have it. Um it just it showed the kind of awareness that has made Benteke come alive in the past two months. Yeah, and you, you see him, he always tries those fancy flicks, but when he's in form, when he's in the mood, they just always seem to come off. And even some of his passes, you'll see him switch the play from left to right, just curling a ball across the field. And 
I don't know. It's it's great to watch because you think of him as a goal scorer, but he also can set a lot of things up. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. He was one of the announcers on Sunday was talking about the fact that he looks like your stereotypical power striker, someone who's just going to hammer home the ball. And the fact that looks can be deceiving because he's nothing like that at all. He can take a powerful shot every now and again, but he's a much more finesse-oriented striker than you would expect. Yeah, but he can he can go up and physically dominate someone in the air with a power header as well. You know, he's he's really just complete forward, but more I don't know more of a number ten really than you think than a classic number nine, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's there's hope in my mind that maybe next season is the season we see him actually put it all together for a full season, rather like he has done for the past three years. Yeah, you saw a couple years ago when we were in the relegation contention obviously but in the spring when he lit it up and would have got to 20 goals if he wasn't suspended at the end and yeah this year what nine in his past seven games getting to double figures and yeah 10 now he's 10 in the league two in the cup but yeah if you, like you're saying if he could put it together for a full 38 games who knows yeah absolutely uh, one player I'm kind of interested about from Sunday was Kieran Richardson. On Twitter, I was giving him a lot of crap because uh, I thought he was doing really poorly. Going back and rewatching that match, I, I stand by a lot of what I said, especially on the offensive phase of the game. He was miserable. And he's not a great defender, but he did his job in a position that he's not particularly well-suited for. Um, do you think we are maybe too hard on Richardson on Sunday? Yeah, because he made the goal on clearance. If that was yeah. massive. If he did nothing else for the day, that should save him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he didn't. He wasn't making the bad passes that led to the first goal. I mm-hmm. mean, he wasn't. He wasn't great. He, he didn't misplace a whole a whole lot of passes on the left. He could have been a little better, but yeah, I don't. I don't think he's an ideal left back. Better a left wing back or left midfield. But yeah, I think I think we're a bit too harsh on him, but. His performances the the past few games had been pretty bad. Yeah, they've been bad, but they've been sufficient. Um, I mean, look at it. The past two games, with him as left back, we've conceded one goal. That's, you know, that's not terrible. Yeah, I mean, he's not, he's not dragging the defense down to a, a low level that's making them ship three or four a game. And to be fair, neither Spurs nor Liverpool properly exploited him. If I'm, if I'm the opposing manager and I see him out there at left back, I'm putting all my attacks up that side. Yeah, maybe maybe they should have started Balotelli and put Sterling on the right. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, they, Markovic as a wingback, he just wasn't getting forward enough, wasn't, wasn't really doing enough. How weird was it to see uh, Brendan Rodgers tactically totally outclassed by Tim Sherwood? It, w- it was a little weird, I think, because <laughs> because you just think of Rodgers as playing the possession style, and Villa looked like they had all the ball, at least in the first half. Yeah, absolutely. It, to me, it looked like a mirror image of the QPR match. You know, when Ramsey made that change and Tim Sherwood had no idea how to operate, Sherwood put out a good lineup, a good system, and Brendan Rodgers spent the entire 90 minutes going, what do I do with this? Yeah. Um, I don't it, know it was... It was great to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it sort of points to one of Tim Sherwood's things. If he gets it right from the first whistle, it's good. If he doesn't get it right from the first whistle, he's not very good at adjusting mid-match. And maybe because we were level at the break, Liverpool 
thought they could go out and try to do the same thing and that mm -hmm. it would work. Yeah, I mean, at the, at the end, I guess it really showed that they were a higher quality team when they were able to to turn up the pressure. You know, that's kind of what Arsenal does a lot of the time. They'll be they'll be level and just need to get a goal and they'll be able to do it. Yeah. But the Liverpool controlling it then, but just, I don't know, wasn't able to get it done. Villa doing just enough. Yeah. Do you feel badly for Balotelli? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of do, but I, I don't know. If he was in any other league, I would like him to be successful, but maybe not for Liverpool. Yeah, I really like Balotelli. I feel badly that he's at Liverpool and that he's getting so much crap. Um, People think he's like a madman because he just does crazy stuff, like sets off fireworks in the bathroom and like drives around with a, a bunch of cash and gets pulled over and the cop says, why do you have all this cash? Because I'm rich. But like, I don't know. He's he's gone to like university library and like paid off everyone's overdue fines and gone to schools to stop bullying and stuff. He's actually a pretty nice guy, I think. Yeah, he seems like an incredibly nice guy who gets a lot of crap, gets a lot of racist crap thrown at him. Yeah, I understand why he left Italy because that's ridiculous. Yeah, I I really like the guy. Um, I I really wish he were doing better and that people didn't hate him. Um, but like you said, it doesn't make me sad to see him not doing well for Liverpool. Yeah. Um, I I'd, I'd love to see him playing in France or somewhere. You know, Fran a good country that doesn't have racism problems like France. Yeah. No. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't know. I I felt badly on that disallowed goal because he was so clearly onside. Yeah, but it was funny because he was so badly offside for the rest of the day, and it just ruined his reputation. I think. And I mean, like it's like Darren Ben. If you think he's possibly offside, you're going to put the flag up every time. Yeah, it's true. Um, the announcer on that offside, uh, the color commentator. Uh, yeah, just, you know, the second the flag goes up, he's like, oh, there's Balotelli just being lazy, getting back on side again. And then they show the replay, and the guy's like, uh, er, uh. <laughs> oh, three yards on, uh. uh like, dude, fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah, that was bad. This is why I feel badly for Balotelli, because even the announcers are just like, oh, he's a lazy piece of shit. It's like, no, he isn't. He he was three yards on side there, and you just assumed he was being lazy. It's like, A, that proves you're terrible at your job. And B, you know, it shows that... Balotelli at least wait has... for the replay. Yeah, no kidding. It's just, like, so obviously this guy didn't see it. He's just like, well, Balotelli was offside, probably being lazy. Like, F you, dude. I just... And, and luckily I haven't heard too much whining from Liverpool fans about that goal because it was really clear that Akora and Given all saw the flag. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, even even though Balotelli did stick it in the back of the net, I think that Villa's players had stopped playing. And even if he gets a shot away, maybe it's saved. I don't know. that It, it yeah, was going to be a great chance. I'm, I'm not sure he gets the shot away, though, because Okora was in a position um, was in a position to get between him and the goal pretty exactly. easily. Yeah, yeah. But he, he just gave up. So um, as badly as I felt at the time watching the replay – I realized that eh, they probably weren't going to get that goal anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did enjoy the fact that if he had scored, Balotelli would have only scored five goals this season, and they would have all come in five different competitions. Yeah, yeah, that would have been hilarious. Uh, what a great stat that would be. I do feel bad for him that uh, the Liverpool fans, or someone made a bot or something to vote for him for Liverpool Player of the Year. 
mm-hmm. to troll him, but Liverpool removed him from the voting and then put him back up. Oh, so wow. Just to, to disqualify those votes, I guess. I don't know why they couldn't figure out a different way to make sure they didn't get botted, I guess. But Yeah, that's a little bit weird. Uh, the other player from the game that I want to talk about is Jack Grealish. Uh, his best game in a Villa uniform, right? I think so. And then his dad uh, never wears his shirt the whole next day. What a creep. Although, although I bet that shirt stunk. <laughs> Probably. He was, he was working hard out there. He didn't deserve to get subbed off, and I don't think Inzagbia did either, but that's that's just because Sinclair and Cole were poor. But Yeah, absolutely. I, I was surprised to see Grealish come off. Um, but, you know, Timmy was obviously happy with him I, giving him the big old kiss. I just tweeted at the time that Sherwood just subbed off the player farthest away from the bench. Yeah, it's true. And it, it sort of did look like that. And and boy, Grealish took his time getting over there. Yeah, and I, th- I think the commentators are saying, uh, you got to hurry up. You can remember, you can still get booked. Yeah, and, but. and they pointed out he started jogging, and it was actually probably slower than his walk had been. <laughs> but you can't book him when he's jogging. I mean, he yeah. looks like he's. But just an absolutely incredible game, roving everywhere around the field. Him in. You know, the, despite the fact that we weren't playing that diamond, he was still playing the same role as he's been playing with the tip of that diamond there. Yeah, the free roll. And I think we saw it early. He made a run that won a corner, just bursting through the through the defense. And I think a lot of teams still don't really know too much about him, which has got to be on his side. But, I, yeah. think, I mean, I think a lot of people, everyone's heard of him now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if the kid knows what he's doing because he's just running at world-class defenders. Like, sure. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, he just doesn't like, care. I'm not, yeah. It's, it's incredible. The fearlessness he shows out there and the willingness to just start and make a run on his own is amazing. The, the one thing I've seen leveled at him in terms of criticism is he seems a bit unwilling to shoot. Um, do you think that's a worthy criticism of him? I think from seeing some of him, his highlights from the youth levels, I think he's more like a Barcelona player is that he'd rather pass it into the goal from six yards away than rip it from 20. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, th- I think he could shoot a little more. We obviously don't know how good his shot is because we haven't seen it a lot. But, yeah, I think, I don't know, I think he could work on work on that a bit because yeah. there, there were some chances to pull the trigger when that he passed up. Though, to be fair, the biggest chance I think he had to pull the trigger was before he assisted Delph on that other goal. Yeah, exactly. I was I was yelling at the screen there, too, shoot it, shoot it. And when he didn't, I was like, what the hell? And then, you know, before I could even get that sentence out, Delph had scored. I think he would have um, had a better chance, like I was saying right before, cleverly ripped that one from 25 yards when the pass from Benteke went across the area. If he would have found Grealish, I think he would have maybe would have shot there. But yeah. Can you imagine Grealish opening his account at the semifinal at Wembley against Liverpool? Yeah, I guess I, mean, I don't know. Maybe he'll have a chance in the final. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll score in the league by then. Yeah, one would think so, but there's a little part of me that just doesn't want him to, and wants him to, you know, score the opening goal against Arsenal at Wembley, and and just watch Villa fans collectively explode. Yeah, or, or score three. God, I mean, I I want so badly for him to score in a big moment or at Villa Park. Because I, I want the fans to, I want to hear that reaction. Yeah. Because it's going to be incredible when he finally does it in front of Villa fans. Yeah, like you said, it's it's 
the stadium's going to explode. And it's it's really too bad that the the allocation for Villa fans at the FA Cup final is only 22,500. And yeah, same for Arsenal fans. Strange. So the yeah. actual fans only get really half the tickets in the stadium. Yeah, well, you know, it's just like the Super Bowl or something like that. When you can make money from giving it away to, you know, non-affiliated people, why yeah, would you, you give I mean, it away? You have, you have sponsors as well that from the corporations that get a lot of tickets, but, I mean, it's just... It is unfortunate. Yeah. That said, Villa fans can probably end up with tickets, you know, other ways. They just won't get to be in the Villa section. Or, uh, I don't know. I I remember you mentioning that uh, if we made the final, you would contemplate going out there. Is that still a possibility? Yeah, it, it was. I think, uh, but I think I have an internship for the summer, so won't I won't be able to. I know Alex was was still thinking about it, but yeah. I, I I was trying to figure out if there was any possible way for me to do it, and there is none. Yeah, if, if I wasn't going to be in California, I would gladly empty my bank account to get a flight and get a ticket. I want nothing more than to go to Wembley for the final and drink with the folks of Aston Villa Review and Sam Ty and everyone else after the match. Uh, yeah, especially if we win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you haven't had a chance, not just you, Jack, but anyone listening, if you haven't had a chance, go listen to this week's Aston Villa review because hearing Steve and Chris talk about their experience from inside Wembley and then after Wembley and talk about the way it affected the fans and everything, um, the two of them on the podcast talked about the fact that it made them really emotional to be there. Uh, and Steve said it might have gotten a little misty in there. And the way they talk about it is good enough that it, it made me a bit emotional just listening to it. Uh, one of the very best things I've heard or read uh, from that semifinal win. So make sure you go check that out. Yeah, I know Steve, Steve was tweeting, oh, dusting, dusting off the webcam actually got some goals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It was, uh, it, it was worth it. So uh, go listen to that podcast. You, you will not regret your 45 or 50 minutes spent listening to them. Um, so... It was a great win. Villa get to move on. Um, we get a little bit of Jack Grealish controversy uh, after the win. Yeah, uh, it was part part of our Twitter questions, which we'll get to in a bit. But uh, yeah, hippie crack. What do you make of it, Robert? Hippie crack, Jack Grealish. So if you're not familiar, someone mentioned this yesterday, and I hadn't seen it. Uh, apparently it had totally bypassed me. But apparently the sun, was it the sun? Yeah, yeah, I, I saw it in the middle of the day, but I didn't retweet it or anything just because it was the sun. I was like, mm. Yeah, the, the sun published a picture of Jack Relish huffing on something out of a balloon, and it turns out that it was a hippie crack, otherwise known as nitrous oxide. And um, there's been a lot of uproar because, oh, my God, he's using something to get high, and should he be suspended? Should he not be suspended? Tim Sherwood came out today and said he talked to Jack, and uh, he'll be available for Saturday. Um, it yeah, it just, shows all the pictures from a year ago. Yeah, exactly. And there's, you know, pictures of Raheem Sterling doing this, too. And Yeah, and Berahino, and he's in the hippie crack hall of shame. But I don't know, Sterling and Berahino are pretty good. Yeah, pretty good company to keep there. That's <laughs> what a very good thing. And, uh, you know, ESPN FC's article on this, which is where I finally found the picture. I was just quickly Googling. Uh says, quote, nitrous oxide, known commonly as laughing gas, is not illegal, but it's described by UK government-backed anti-drug service Frank as carrying, quote, a risk of death as a lack of oxygen can, 
can occur. Risk is likely to be greater if the gas is consumed in an enclosed space or if a substantial amount is rapidly used, end all quotes. Um, so yeah, it's legal, but you could die from it. Guess what else that applies to? Playing Literally football. anything else. Yeah, playing football, <laughs> drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes. Do we have a problem if players drink if they smoke? If they play football, you saw all the beers in the the post match uh, pictures, you know. And and one of the uh, who was that? The star maybe someone tried to make a big deal of that too. Like holy shit, they're drinking beer in the locker room. Like fuck off. Yeah. Oh no, Budweiser. That's the sponsor of the FA Cup. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry for the language, but did you this BS moral policing of, oh, we have to be able to tell them what they do. If what Jack Relish did was legal and not restricted by his contract, it's none of our damn business if he does it or not. Yeah, especially if he did it a year ago. Who knows? He's probably still not even doing that. Yeah, exactly. And if it's something that Tim Sherwood doesn't want to see the team doing, talk to him. You know, the kid is smart. He wants to play football. He wants to play football at a high level. If you say, listen, dude, I don't want you doing this, and if you keep it up, you're not going to play football, I bet he makes the right decision. Yeah. I mean... Just, uh, it, it, it enrages me, this moral policing of stuff that is legal. Is it dumb? Yeah, maybe. Probably. But it's none of our damn business. Let him do what he wants. He plays great football. He plays, you know, the way we want him to play. What he does off the pitch is none of our business. If he dies, he dies. Well, yeah, and that would be... <laughs> I mean, that would be terrible, and that's the risk you take, but he's an adult. He can take that risk. He, you know, he has that ability. He could die by crossing the street or driving or drinking or doing anything. That risk is always present. And uh, I don't know. It just it pissed me off, the controversy around it. Yeah, and we we did have a, qu a Twitter question from Mark Bannister at 1874FC. Would you take any action against Grealish? I, I mean, I think you you can tell by our response, <laughs> no. Tim Sherwood, no. And this, especially when I learned that it was a year ago, no. Yeah. Well, now that I've said all of that, absolutely. Suspend him. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah sus suspend him. We don't want to see him till August. What? <laughs> I mean, even, even a, I mean, if you, even if you want to set the standard, Villa's still in the relegation race, and I don't know. It's hard to say that a, a player is bigger than the team, but it's not really. It's not a big deal. Yeah, no, it isn't. And and if it is a big deal, you say, "Hey, Jack, knock that shit off." And okay, he does. You know. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's behind the scenes stuff that we don't know, but I kind of doubt it, given that we've never heard anything about this before. Yeah, and granted, how since it's a year old, and now it's only come out, they're obviously holding on to the picture until after Grealish had a great, great game. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's your typical tabloid bullcrap. Yeah, it's the sun. Yeah. Um. So yeah, no, Grealish shouldn't be sus suspended. He shouldn't be punished. It's his own damn time. And if Tim Sherwood doesn't want him doing it, talk to him. And guess what? Grealish seems to love Sherwood. I bet he's gonna listen if Tim Sherwood tells him something. Exactly. So, I mean, that's that's what we have on that, really. Um, end rant. <laughs> yeah, end rant. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, um, what, we have another one. How do you replace Benteke if he moves on for what he has done for our club to consider as well and who from Aiden at Grezmat? I think, I don't know, I think if, if Benteke goes... 
you got to spend at least $10 million on a striker and get someone useful. I don't know. Maybe Balotelli's value goes down that much and you can get <laughs> it. Uh, I don't think so. But Does that make Aston Villa the Liverpool reclamation project? Like, we take in Ali Sissoko, we take in Balotelli. Uh, you know, who else can we take in that are failed Liverpool stars? Maybe Steven Gerrard needs a place to go. No, I think he'll be perfectly happy going to L.A. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, who, how do you replace Pentecki if he moves on? Yeah, you've got to pick up someone new. Um, but keep in mind, Lieber Kozak will be coming back. Lieber Kozak should be able to replace Benteke, well, not replace him, but to supplement what we would be missing from Benteke. And if Benteke doesn't move on, Lieber Kozak is a nice augmentation for what we get out of Benteke. Um, yeah, and, and if we do end up in the Europa League, perfect, because that's where Lieber Kozak scores all his goals. And when you're playing Thursday and Sunday, you need to rotate the squad a lot. So I think, I mean, I think we're going to need another striker anyways. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think the plan, like you said, is the same over the summer. You get a new striker and you bring in someone new, especially if there's Europa League play on the line for that. Um, yeah, okay. N next question um, from Claire Villains at Villains Claire. Are you worried about new owners possibly being from China? Asian owners don't have a great track record. And, yeah, I guess you look at Cardiff City and QPR, and, no, they, they don't have the best track record. But... I don't know. It's it's hard to just say that we don't want an Asian owner because of that. I mean, I think if they're if they're putting in the money, if they're able to get a bigger sponsorship deal because of connections, like you look at Manchester City and what they have with Etihad Airways and you know or or PSG and and such, you know, if if that can bring in more money, I think it's good. Yeah, and I also want to point out that. I've seen a lot of backlash because the, this rumor broke this week from James Nursey that there's a Chinese conglomerate looking at a takeover of Aston Villa. And a lot of people have been upset because it's Chinese. And, and this question, you know, Asian owners don't have a great track record. The weird thing is these are all individuals or groups. They have no impact on one another. The fact that previous Asian owners have not done well tells us literally nothing about future Asian owners. Yeah, it's not like this conglomerate took over Blackpool and sunk them. Yeah, exactly. This is not a group we've seen before, at least to the best of our knowledge. They're a group that are looking to acquire a Premier League team, so it, it seems that they've never done this before. There's no connection there. Um, if you want to make broad-based connections, guess who has sunk financially more English teams than anyone else? English owners, because they've had <laughs> the clubs. Yeah, it's... Basing it on the fact that there have been a few poor Asian owners is stupid. Um, it is borderline xenophobic, um, and and it's it's irritating to me. You judge the new ownership based on what we know about the new ownership, not what we know based on you know other Asian owners. If we were to get a Middle Eastern ownership team, we could not say that hey we're going to be the new Man City because look at what one Middle Eastern team has done. Yeah, exactly. It's it's crazy, and I've seen a lot of people. You know, we don't want Chinese owners because get the hell out of here. I'm thinking, yeah. Why not? Look at look at how the market in China is just exploding for football. There there's so many potential fans there. That's a lot of a lot of potential revenue. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that Aston Villa are for some reason one of the most popular Premier League clubs in China is probably a good sign. Um, yeah, that's that's probably so, what it's thought of. I mean, so this, I kind of get the reactions because we don't know anything and everyone wants to react somehow, but we don't know anything. 
you know, this could be a group who are terrible or this could be a group who are good. But judging this group before we know anything based solely on the fact that other Asian owners have not had success is not acceptable. That's not a good way to judge this. Yeah, are you just saying you don't want another American owner because of Randy Lerner or, you know, like look at Liverpool's ownership group, you know? Look at the success rate of owners who came from Cleveland. Like, yeah. That's essentially what that's saying. And, and yeah. it's... And and I get the question, and I, I see that, and I'm not trying to attack Claire Villains here. It's just that this kind of question has been swirling around this rumor since it came out two days ago, and it's just, it's sort of irritating because we don't have enough information to make any judgment, so let's stop trying to make judgments based on what little information we have that has no applicability to this argument. Yeah, and I mean, you can, you can kind of understand just because of the way that Cardiff tanked and change, I mean, changed kind of the identity of the club, switching from the Bluebirds to the Red Dragons, but, I mean, yeah, I agree with everything that you said. Yeah, uh, it, it just, it, it boggles my mind. I, I made sure not to read the Facebook comments when we posted about that Chinese rumor. It's just yeah. not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and from Aston Villa Review, would you rather have hands instead of feet or feet instead of hands? What do you think? Well, I don't know if if you're a goalkeeper, maybe having four hands could be quite useful. But also, I'd, you wouldn't be very good at kicking, so I don't, I don't know. I'd make the argument that uh, in the vast majority of things, having four hands would be better than having four feet. Yeah, because feet don't have opposable thumbs. We we we're pretty used without opposable thumbs. Yeah, I was just thinking about it, like kind of kicking my feet up and then being able to type on two keyboards at once. Like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, right? I don't know. And I don't then, have two brains, so I don't know if I'd be able to. Turn out twice and be things, but <laughs> I, I feel like you could train yourself. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna go with four hands instead of four feet. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with four four hands as well. I mean, I think maybe maybe a couple more handballs, but Aston Villa review asking the tough questions that need to be answered. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm glad they're around to uh, keep us in line here. Yeah, kind of kind of the watchdogs out there. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, th I think that that's it for Twitter questions. We're going to move on to rooting interests for the week, Robert. So, I mean, who, who do we want to lose that's also involved in the relegation picture? So we obviously want Hull City to lose. They're playing Crystal Palace. Uh, Crystal we Palace did us no favors last week. No kidding, but, you know, that's okay because Crystal Palace were playing a team that were barely in the relegation race anyway, so... That's true, uh, but we do always like to see. Oh no! Yeah, West, yeah, yeah, we always like seeing West Brom lose, but uh, alas, uh, Stoke are hosting Sunderland, so those are two home teams you want to win: Stoke uh, over Sunderland, Crystal Palace over Hull City, um, Newcastle, a team I didn't think we would be talking about. Uh, they've nosedived enough that. They're on the fringes of this conversation now, and they're hosting Swansea. Uh, if they win or if they get a point, I think we just sort of ignore them for the rest of the season. But if they lose, I think Newcastle are suddenly in this relegation fight with a vengeance. Um, yeah, they're just they're just three points ahead of Villa and just one one better in the goal difference department. So yeah, I'd like to think that West Brom have probably saved themselves, but maybe a loss to Liverpool uh, drags them down. QPR I think there's just too many teams below West Brom. Yeah, exactly. I think the hope there, though, is that uh, Liverpool win so that Villa can catch up to West Brom. Yeah. 
Um, you know, keep keep things close there. QPR are hosting West Ham, and you obviously want West Ham to win. Um, the really truly interesting relegation match this weekend, though, is Burnley hosting Leicester. Uh, how do you want that one to go, Jack? Uh, I think I think we're going to need a draw there, just because what Leicester have won three in a row. Burnley they've only scored one in their last seven, but with a win there, they could really they could dig themselves off the bottom, and they could possibly hop three teams and be out yeah. of it. Yeah, they absolutely could, and and Leicester could get well out of it too. Um, you know, Leicester could almost catch us with a win. Yeah, they could just they could get a point behind us if if we end up losing. Yeah, if I think the draw is absolutely what we want there. Um, but if the draw doesn't happen, who do you want to win here? I'm not sure there's a right answer. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think maybe Leicester just because I think Burnley their remaining fixtures they still have whole. Um, they, I don't know. They still they still have a lot of winnable games. I think they still have West Ham, and I don't know. I think if if Burnley, if Burnley end up losing, they could be sunk. But if, I don't know. Yeah, so I'm kind of intrigued by this. Like Burnley have more winnable games, so it strikes me as reasonable that Burnley could save themselves regardless of what happens here. Whereas Leicester have the tougher run in, so if they lose here, it's harder for them to save themselves. So I kind of think I want Burnley to win if we have to have a winner out of this. Just so they they take the points away from Leicester, and yeah, I I sort of see Burnley as being able to save themselves regardless of what happens here, and I think Leicester really only save themselves if they keep their momentum going and get the win here. Yeah, because um, I was I was looking at it yesterday, and I thought including this game against Leicester, Burnley have four games where it wouldn't be w- way out of the question that they could win. I think they that they've really f- four winnable games and that could get them to 38 yeah absolutely um which would definitely save them yeah no um lester lester don't have a tough schedule either i actually i mean really on this one i'm not i don't think any outcome is amazing except for a draw a goalless draw yeah a draw that would kill the momentum for lester and burnley that make it one goal in eight games for them and they'd probably just give up honestly yeah, I'd say I'd say a goalless draw because that means Leicester get nothing out of it, or better yet, a draw where Leicester, you know, charge out ahead three nil and Burnley catch him. Yeah, yeah, just blow it. Yeah, to really take the wind out of their sails. Yeah. Um, you wrote your relegation poaching this week on Burnley, since we're speaking of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, I did. Um, who would you take? I think, really, honestly, uh, Danny Ings is their best player. Obviously, everyone knows that, but. Unfortunately, a lot of big teams are going to be going in for him, and even though he's his contract's going to run out, he's only 23, so Lester or excuse me, Burnley is still going to get a little bit of cash for him. But I don't know, he's he's by far their best player. But also, Kieran Trippier, they they're right back. He's played 33 games for them and came out of Man City's academy. He's actually provided four assists this season, so decent return from a right back, and he's 24, so. Even though, I don't know, Alan Hutton's getting up there, but with still DeAndre Bakuna and Matt Lowden, not really sure if we'd, we'd need another right back, but if we did, he wouldn't be a bad option. And then Michael Keane, a center back that they just bought from Manchester United, he was on loan there the first half of the season, but he's played 19 times for the Clarets. And 
at 22, I think he's he's still got a lot to develop. And with the the injury problems Villa have had at center back this year, I don't think adding another one would hurt. <laughs> Next season, Tim Sherwood is definitely starting with ten center backs, isn't he? Yeah. Like he's that's all he's going to buy over the summer. Just like I, I'm pretty sure half of these guys are going to get killed. So let's just buy everyone. Yeah, it's like it's not personal if you're seventh on the depth chart to start the season by <laughs> January. You'll be playing every week. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll be starting for England come January. Just, yeah, seriously. Yeah. But I mean, that it really sucks that Baker and Clark are done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Clark, we were confirmed today by Sherwood is done. Uh, we heard that Baker was out for the season on Sunday, um, but today when tweeting about it, uh, the team were talking as if it was not a done deal that Baker's out for the season. And I guess it's good that they took the precautions and removed him from the match. On yeah. Sunday, but, yeah, I, I'm, I guess we don't have to worry about Clark picking up the 10th booking. <laughs> How <laughs> ironic was that? That you Yeah. Know, after all that time, and he didn't get that 10th yellow card. He did really well, and then he gets Yeah, Yo, think about it. If you would have got that yellow, he wouldn't have played in that game that he got injured. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, God. You can't um, think like that, though. And I, I feel so gutted for the guy because he played really well. He was looking good, and, of course, he gets injured again. But Ron Vlar is back, and he's been looking great as well. Yeah, he has been. Um, I, God, I mean, let's see. Nathan Baker's last few matches against Liverpool, subbed off 25th minute. Against Tottenham, subbed on 17th minute because of Kieran Clark. Um, he got subbed on against Manchester United. He was subbed off against West Ham in November. He just, the poor guy gets injured so damn much. And he looks so good. I mean, just the way he's playing is fantastic. I feel so badly for him. Yeah, hopefully he just does a delf and can reach his age where he just gets over the injury problems and can just be a stud week in and week out. Yeah, and for what it's worth, it's not time to give up on Nathan Baker because no, it's no. his birthday today. It's his birthday, and he's turning 24. Yeah, he, so... Given, given the fact that defenders usually do a little better at, you know, in that 26-27 range, he's still got plenty of time left. Oh, exactly. And just looking at him and Kieran Clark and Yara Sakura, like we have a great core of, of young defenders. So can you imagine if all three of them are healthy, the the ability Villa will have to play a three at the back? Yeah, because if you could if you could stick Richardson and Bakuna actually on the wings. Yeah, push them up a little it. bit. Yeah. God, I, I, the idea of a three at the back with Baker, Clark, and Akora. Akora, rather, is just incredible to me. I, I would love to see that. Yeah, and then we definitely would need to sign at least another center back for cover. <laughs> even if, <laughs> no, even if Ron Warren's no, abstain. There's no chance that they get injured. No, no. Um, just full uh, immunity. But, uh, um, yeah, yeah we, we saw this week that, that Ron Vlar maybe will end up staying. His contract was up, and I don't know. Even I had called it called it a career, I guess, at Villa for him. I was saying, whatever, if he moves on. But I think he could he could really stay on and tutor those young guys. Yeah, he was injured enough this year. You know, at the beginning of the season, him moving on was inevitable, but he got injured enough this year that he really, you know, hurt his value. And, and, and it's not surprising that he may want to stay on because 
Villa are building things. Tim Sherwood seems to have the players, uh, you know, with him. So maybe he wants to stick here and build his value for a contract next year or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And what, if we sign him for two two more years, great. Then he yeah. can go to MLS. Exactly. And I've seen a lot of people, you know, complaining, oh, we don't want him on because he's so injured. It's, you know, depending on the contract, that's not a big deal. It's, you know, keep him around as depth. Keep him around, like you said, as a mentor for this core of young players. Yeah, and I don't know, look at Senderos. He's been injured the whole year, too. And much rather have Vlar injured, who could actually come in and be almost world-class when he's playing at his best. Yeah, like he was this weekend. When yeah, he fantastic. winning a foot racing on Sterling. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is, you know, just... He looks really good, and I would like to have him around next year. Um, yeah. And 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 a mentor would be helpful, given that between Clark, Acora, and uh, Baker, their average age between them is twenty three. Yeah. Like twenty twenty three and eight months is their average age between them. Um, exactly. Which is just crazy, like. Uh, so it wouldn't hurt to have that sort of mentor around with Ron Vlar. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess get yes. get to a little more injury news as we go to the Manchester City preview. That's going to be it's a it's the late game on Saturday. So, so Americans, you can watch on NBC. Yeah. I'm excited. I actually get to watch this game on my TV. Yes, the, the man without cable, very happy, Robert. <laughs> yes, so excited. I finally get to see them on the TV, um, as so opposed to in a box like this big on my computer screen. So 6, 6.30 local, England, 12.30 Eastern. 5.30 England. 5.30 England, sorry. Yeah, that's all right. 5.30 England, 12.30 Eastern. 9.30 for you West Coast folks, so you should have plenty of time to get up. How was getting up early for a match, Jack? Oh, it, I, it was great. I, I got up at 6.55, and... I don't know. I was not disappointed at all. I'd get up at that time every week if Villa played like that. Yeah, if they could play like that, you know, we could. I'd get up at six every week. Sure. I, I actually will have to the, the last couple weeks of the season in California, but yeah, that's okay. Uh, so yeah, we've got some of that other injury news for that later game. Um, Gabe Lahore looks like he might be back. Ali Sissoko looks to be back. Philippe Senderos uh, should be back. Um, at least on the bench. Senderos. Yeah, exactly. Cinderos, I would be shocked if he started. Um, but he's It's good to have him as cover, given that we only have two other center backs. Um, Sissoko, on the other hand, might actually start, given what Richardson has given us at left back lately. I, I don't know, though. It's I think it's hard for Sherwood to really to change up the team after, after the way they played, to be fair. Yeah, after two really compelling victories. Yeah. Um, I actually sort of, against Manchester City, want to see that same lineup. I want to see that five-man midfield against City. Yeah, and City, they, they like to go with the 4-4-2 a lot, so I think playing five in midfield is the best way to deal with that. I mean, City, you saw that uh, Pellegrini's really stubborn, even against Barcelona, he's, he's going to go out and play a 4-4-2. I mean, maybe he won't just because of injuries to striker. Bonnie could be out. Uh, Jovic is out for sure, but... He's really not in their plans anyways. But um, if if he does stick with the 4-4-2 with Aguero and Jaco up top, I think playing playing five in midfield is a good way to actually ensure that we'll have at least probably 40-45% 40, of the ball. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, think, I think you could see a lot there. 
Um, but I, I sort of imagine it's going to be the 4-4-2, the diamond, especially if Gabby is healthy again. I think if Gabby isn't healthy, we do end up seeing pretty much the same lineup we saw at Wembley. Yeah, and, and if Gabby's healthy, I think that's great to give a pace threat that could really that really stretches the defense. I mean, you, you saw Benteke going wide from that central striker position, but he really has the freedom to go anywhere and needs to go everywhere when he's the lone striker. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is, of course, with this match, the potential that Villa get blown out. Um, oh, because yeah. despite the fact that... Yeah, despite the fact that City are not in top form, they're still a much better club than Villa are. Um, yeah. Do you think Do you think a blowout here stops the momentum? Stops Villa's momentum? Yeah, I, I mean, at least at least momentarily. I mean, I think uh, Sherwood, Sherwood's got to just settle him after that and just try to get back to to level ground. But even if, if it's 5-0 or something, I mean, hurts the goal difference. Hopefully the, the other results go our way, though. But, yeah, nuking's definitely not out of the question. Yeah. Um, so, again, we don't do predictions here. Um, but let's just go ahead and assume for the moment that Villa lose here. What's an acceptable loss here? What's a loss that doesn't really kill this team off? I, th I think as long as you score, it's okay. So even 3-1 or 4-1 is not – depending on how the goals come, if, if the whole team just falls apart, it could get ugly. But – I don't know. You could you could see Yaya Torres score a great free kick or like what he did on just a incredible run, sixty yard run and finish like last year. Yeah. I mean, some it, sometimes he's not human. Yeah, exactly. In the driving rain, nevertheless. That remember yeah. how sloppy that match was? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I think I even think two nil would be okay here. Hold me yeah, yeah. to two goals. You know, play a decent match and you're fine here. I also think that this is a chance where we could get a point or three. We could surprise. A point would be huge just because, I don't know, I've said 33 is going to keep you safe for a while, and maybe it won't now. It's it's getting a little closer at the at the bottom. Those teams are actually starting to win, but still hitting hitting 33 would be big. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it would not blow my mind if Villa somehow won this. The way they've been playing lately, and the way Manchester City have been playing lately, um, the, there's no way I would ever even put money on it, let alone predict it. Um, but it wouldn't blow my mind if Villa came away with three points somehow. Yeah, it'd become completely a whole lot less of a shock result than the past couple weeks of, or after the past couple weeks of beating Spurs and then Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. Um, so and especially, you know, I mean, especially depends on depending on how we play if we. Are playing on the counter and City's dominating and we steal a goal. I mean, that would still be a surprise, but exactly like like everyone says, it takes one slip. You know, Villa get one goal and they can hold on. They get a draw or a win. I mean, there's a very real possibility that happens. Yeah, and they, I don't know. They they we really look pretty confident defending at the end of the game against Liverpool, even though even though they they were really turning the pressure on and i guess if if you're if you were looking to bet i think villa is about 11 to 1 yeah so there's good money to be had there and last year against city at city paul lambert parked the bus and it worked for a half um, and then when it finally collapsed it was even more demoralizing yeah exactly and that's why that's why it's just stupid to park the bus in a match like this i mean our goal difference is it's minus 21 if we give up 6 we'll probably have the worst goal difference in the league but we still won't be 
the lowest placed team in the league, so it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah, and you're not going to see Tim Sherwood barking the bus either. You're exactly. going to see him coming yeah. out guns blazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually excited for this. It, it feels sort of like last weekend did to me before last weekend, like a no-pressure match. We're not expected to get anything from here. Um, and if we don't, it's not going to kill us off. This is not a match that makes or breaks this season. Yeah, it's not the, not the end of the world. And if we win, it's not like we're going to Europe or something, you know. So yeah, kind of nothing to lose. Still a lot to gain, though, I guess. But yeah, um, what, like you said, Sherwood's not going to park the bus. Here's a fact. Uh, we've scored the same amount of goals under Sherwood that we did under Lambert. 12, and eight go- 12 goals in eight games under Sherwood and... Lambert was in charge for 25. Oof. Wow. Uh, my other favorite stat is, and it may have changed this weekend with Harry Kane scoring again, but um, actually, no, I think they're still level. Uh, I'm trying to think of who was second. It wasn't Kane. Since Tim Sherwood took over, Christian Benteke is the Premier League's leading scorer. I think Aguero, Aguero has 20. Yeah, but I think not enough of oh, those oh, have come since Sherwood took time. over. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, because I think the second closest came from Arsenal. Um, one of their lately on fire players. I can't remember which one. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it still holds. Benteke is the Premier League's leading scorer since Sherwood took over. Yeah, nine goals in in that time. So it's just incredible. It's oh, so please. much fun. It's so much fun to watch a good Christian Benteke. Yeah, it's yeah, it's worth watching alone if he's doing good. Yeah, absolutely. So no prediction here, but I nice to know that it's really a no pressure match. Yeah, a lot more. We have a lot more to gain than to lose, so that's always good. Just really, yep. I think I think we're just watching the teams around us and hoping that they lose. Yep, absolutely. Keep them all be below us, and we're in good shape. Um, you know, after this, you've got some winnable uh, matches coming up. So yeah, Everton I think next week. Can, you know, yeah, Everton at Villa Park. That's a match yeah. that you can pull off. Um, and then West Ham at Villa Park. You get two home matches in a row against teams that are really beatable. Um, Got to win you know, one of them, you know? Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Southampton and Burnley. Yeah, so, so season's coming a to a close, but it's looking a lot better than it was even a month ago. So. Yep. Remember, we're still on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Tech Radio, YouTube, so you can subscribe there. And for Robert Lintott, I've been Jack Grimsey. Thanks for listening to the whole cast.